Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today we're making some real progress on our fundraiser. We'll be giving you a in-depth update shortly we talked to a veteran railroader about the train derailment in ohio we respond to some silly arguments about medicaid all that and more on today's program if you want to be part of the show we've got a phone number and the line is open the line is open folks you can call or text 844-899-TVLR that is 844-899-8857 you can also send us a text message or leave us a voicemail throughout the week and we might respond on the next program if you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week uh, then you can find us any uh, anywhere you find anything online, all at the Valley Labor Report, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, all at the Valley Labor Report. Uh, just a reminder, your support helps us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. So if you want to become a sustaining member of the program, we've got it set up. We got a we got a uh, uh, an email last week saying, I wish there was a way to, to auto-pay, to just set up a, a auto-paying thing. And you can do that at tvlr.fm slash donate. Just click the auto-pay button. There's a button in there. If you go to tvlr.fm slash donate, and uh, you can you know sign up at one of our three dues rates, uh, or you can set a custom one. And just set that to auto pay and it'll automatically charge your card uh, at the same time every month. So that's definitely an option. You can also buy our new hat uh, or uh, it's not new anymore. Or you can become a patron at patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. And if you're a member of a union, definitely think about getting your local to sponsor the show. You can reach out to me for more details on that. Let me add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program today belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. That's right. That's right. Although they should, because they're always the correct opinions and viewpoints. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like I said, we have, um, uh, we have gotten some... Uh, uh, really made really good progress on our fundraiser and we're very excited about that um over the last week our listeners have donated nearly a thousand dollars uh just in one week 
nearly $1,000 to expand our project. So that is awesome. We really appreciate it. That puts us 25% of the way to our goal in the first week of February, of which there are four weeks. So, you know, I'm feeling really good about getting where we want to be by the end of the month. Um, and I think that y'all are going to like what we do with the money. Uh, I think that we are, you know, as, uh, as unionists and organizers and people who, uh, you know, are, we have been, you know, Adam and I have both in, in separate capacities, you know, been responsible for the uh, dues money of members. You know, I think that we're pretty conservative in the way that we, you know, spend people's money and, and we want to try to make the best of it. Um, and so just to recap for folks that weren't able to listen last week, we made a big announcement about the future of the show. We went into detail about where we're at now and where we want to be after the expansion. Uh, that video is on our YouTube page, so I'm not going to go into as much detail explaining what we're going to be doing. Uh, but in brief, the deal is that we want to expand the project. We want to do more and that's going to cost money. Specifically with the expansion, we're going to begin doing original reporting by the Valley Labor Report. Some of that's going to be done in-house by myself and Adam. Some of that is going to be done by freelancers that we are going to hire to report on specific stories, uh, maybe stories that they have more contacts with than we do, or maybe stories that they can be geographically closer to so that they can actually speak to people in person. Uh, we are going to do a new weekly show dedicated to labor history and education um, as an Adam Solo project. So that's not going to be like a news of the day, not going to be commenting on this or that thing that's happening online. It's going to be totally labor history and education. And I think that's really cool. Uh, and we're going to be able to secure broader syndication of our work, both for written content and for uh, in getting on more radio stations. Uh, those are our goals. And to increase our output this much, we're going to shift a lot of the organization from a volunteer status uh, to paid positions so that they can focus more time uh, on the project. You know, I mean, it, it, as much as you know, as, as much as you can do with volunteer labor, there is definitely a limit. And I think that we're pretty close to hitting that limit here, uh, in this project. And so we want to be able to, we want to pay folks so that they can set aside more of their time to work on the project. We're going to be paying the people, uh, that are, come on staff $20 an hour. I'm going to stay on as a volunteer. And, uh, by our calculations, this is going to require approximately approximately three to $4,000 a month more than we are bringing in right now. So we're talking to unions and other organizations about coming on as financial sponsors or increasing their sponsorship. Uh, we've got some commitments um, and, you know, some tentative interest. But in the meantime, what we wanted to do is crowdfund the first month uh, for uh, money for the first month so that we could operate at that capacity to show unions and workers and potential donors that, hey, you know, maybe it's worth it to come on as a sponsor of this project. Maybe it's worth having this, um, you know, ha having this project expanded, their capacity expanded, their ability to do, um, you know, their ability to do, to do more. So 
that's kind of that's kind of the thinking there. So yeah, we made that an, uh, announcement last week. The reception was really great. We've raised nearly a thousand dollars already. We appreciate everybody that has donated. Uh, we really appreciate your support so far. Uh, and if you have, so if you haven't donated yet and can, uh, then please do so at tvlr.fm/expand. That is tvlr.fm/expand. Um, you can also send us a check to our P.O. Box. That is P.O. Box 10047, uh, Huntsville, Alabama, 35801. P.O. Box 10047, Huntsville, Alabama, 35801. So you can send us a check there or uh, donate online at tvlr.fm slash expand. But... You know, I, I understand that sometimes people want something a little bit more tangible for your money. Uh, you know, a, a little bit more tangible than I'm going to be supporting this project and helping them do a little bit more. And I understand that. Uh, so if that's the case, if that's, you know, this position that you find yourself in, we've got something for you too. Because today we are opening pre-orders for a new t-shirt with artwork by Tabitha Arnold. Uh, Tabitha Arnold has done lots of great work. Uh, I believe she is, is it, was it her or Maggie Crabapple that did, I think it was Maggie Crabapple that did, um, the cover for, uh, Max's, um, for Max's book, but she's done a lot of good stuff. Uh, you'll definitely recognize the style when we show it to you. Uh, and so let's go ahead and cycle through the colors that we have on that on the YouTube screen so that people can see it. If you are, um, and if you're not watching us on YouTube, then uh, you can go to our store, tvlr.fm slash store. That's where you can uh, check it out. Uh, so as you can see, we've got a black shirt with a white design. We've also got a white shirt with a black design. And just a reminder, if you're not watching us on YouTube, if you're not watching us on YouTube, then you can go to our store and you can see these colors yourself. tvlr.fm slash store. We have a red design with a black... Uh, uh, we have a red shirt with a black design and a red shirt with a white design. And we also have a navy shirt. So, very cool. I think the shirts are really cool. I'm really excited about these shirts. And... Uh, Further, these shirts are, you know, I, I, we all have the, um, you know, we've all got these organization t-shirts that are like really harsh material. They're like Gildan type stuff. These are obviously 100% union made in America, uh, obviously. Uh, but even with shirts like that, you know, sometimes it, it's just like the quality isn't like what you would get if you go into like... Uh, you know, a nice retail store or something and you get a graphic t-shirt. And so we wanted to do something, we wanted to get a little bit higher quality of t-shirt and so we went with American Roots. Uh, they make high quality, soft, really high-end, like retail level shirts. They sent us a sample shirt because they're so confident in uh, the shirts that they put out. And uh, it definitely sold us. We really like it. Very soft, very high quality, 100% uh, union made in America uh, by American Roots. They're a manufacturing uh, a print shop and uh, shirt manufacturing and print shop in Maine. Um, so really, with a fully unionized staff, I believe, through the United Steelworkers, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. 
Um, and I believe they're woman-owned, too, I think. Yeah. So I know from the pictures, it's a very diverse crew that they have working there. And, yeah. you know, that's, so that's great. Uh, you know, a lot of reasons to, to do business with them and, and really appreciate the partnership. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, definitely um, go to our store, tvlr.fm slash store. Um, try it out. They're $32 for a local pickup. And you add some more if it needs to be shipped to you. Um, and, but if you're local in the area, like within, like in Huntsville, or you know me personally, and you you reasonably expect that we'll be able to run into, or we can run into each other at at a certain point, and you're fine with you know waiting for that, feel free to just get the local pickup option for thirty two dollars. Uh, it will be a little bit more if it needs to be shipped. And I know that's kind of pricey, but when you count the artwork that we paid for, we paid Tabitha to do, the, we commissioned this artwork, we paid her to do this, the shirts are, um, you know, they're high quality, so they are high price, and uh, the way that we did the math, we figured we'd need to sell them at $27.70 just to break even, right? So even at $32, we're not making a whole lot of money on this, um, not making a killing uh, by a long shot, but I think they'll be worth it. So, um, so yeah, if you, uh, if you want to support the expansion fundraiser for, uh, that we've got going during February, you can donate at tvlr.fm slash expand. If you want to buy a shirt, which will obviously help us, uh, you know, as we try to expand the project, you can go to our store on tvlr.fm slash store. You can check out the colors, buy uh, one of these shirts. We have sizes from extra small to 5XL. I confirmed with them that they do they make 5XL. So, uh, so you know, all shapes and sizes, extra small to 5XL. Um, and you can check that out on our store, tvlr.fm slash store. Um... Yeah. Uh, also, don't forget to take our listener feedback survey. Adam posted that in the YouTube chat. And uh, pre-orders for that shirt are going to be uh, ending on the 28th of February, so they'll be shipping out sometime in March. Um, yeah. So. And thank you to everyone who has contributed so far, everyone who's taken the survey so far. It really means a lot. We appreciate it. And uh, we, we take your concerns seriously and, you know, it's really been very helpful as we plan this expansion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, uh, before we head to a break, I wanted to shout this out every year, the national council on occupational safety and health releases a dirty dozen report on employers who are putting workers and communities at risk and nominations are open for this year's dishonors. You can fill out the form that they have with information about your terrible employer and they will do the rest. We're putting that form in the YouTube and Facebook chats. And if you're listening to us, uh, as a podcaster on the radio, you can go to nationalkosh.org slash dd-2023-nominations. That is nationalkosh.org slash, that's a forward slash, dd-2023-nominations. All right, so... If you've got a terrible employer, particularly as it relates to occupational safety and health, fill out that form. And I'm sure we have none of those in Alabama. Yeah, no, certainly not. Certainly not. That would be that would be bizarre. 
if we had that in Alabama. Uh, and so with that, we're going to go ahead and head to our first break. We're going to be right back, and we're going to be talking to Fritz Edler, a 40-year veteran railroader about this train derailment that happened in Ohio, uh, talking about some of the implications and talking about how this was totally, totally predictable and avoidable. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. Good 
Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host and fellow agitator is Adam Keller. Uh, We've got some conversation in the chat about the Temple University strike, um, which is going on right now. And the uh, uh, and and that's I don't know just a whole lot about what's going on, but I know that grad assistants and teaching assistants are on strike and their university is canceling their tuition uh, reimbursement, which is and their health care and their health care. Which is wild when they could instead just, uh, you know, uh, paying <laughs> pay them what they're worth. Um, wild, wild stuff going on across the country. So, um, last week there was a horrible accident in East Palestine, Ohio. Uh, to my knowledge, it hasn't yet claimed any lives, which we are very, very thankful for. Um, but it has caused a lot of damage and made an entire community so unsafe that it is illegal for residents to go home because uh, for residents that are within a certain proximity of the accident to go home because the chemicals that were on this train were are so hazardous. It's It's made all the more horrible because... This was entirely predictable and avoidable. It's so predictable, in fact, that multiple railroaders have predicted that incidents like this will happen on multiple uh, uh, on multiple outlets. Working people with Maximilian Alvarez, he talked to a railroader, Jay, who described an incident, uh, a hypothetical incident, eerily similar to this one. There was a More Perfect Union video from back in December, where a veteran railroader in D- at a protest in D.C. again described a situation eerily similar to this one because they knew what the rail companies were doing to the industry, were doing uh, to <laughs> regulations, what they were doing to their workers, and they could see what was coming down the tracks. So we wanted to get somebody on to discuss this, and today we're joined by veteran railroader with 40 years in the industry. He is a past local and regional officer for the Brotherhood of Locomotive uh, Engineers and Trainmen, which is a Teamsters affiliate, and he's currently a representative for the Railroad Workers United, an interunion cross-craft solidarity caucus of railroad workers, Fritz Edler. Fritz Thanks for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Thank you for having us on. Uh, and appreciate the Valley Labor Report uh, because it's incidents like this and the general problem on the rails that is it's going to require regular people all across the country to raise these issues uh, because unfortunately, up to this point, uh, railroaders themselves using their vehicles and whatnot have not uh, been able to get enough of a voice. It's all about stakeholdership, representation of railroad workers and the communities that are affected. So thank you very much. And let's talk about this. Yeah. Yeah, Well, so let's, let's just start off with kind of a description of what's happened. What, what, how did this derailment happen? Well, so from what we can tell, and these are evolving matters, of course, uh, from what we can tell at this point, the, the train, which was made up on the 3rd of February 
down close to St. Louis, uh, was headed to Conway, Pennsylvania. In the course of the route, it had a few problems, but the critical one was when a car in the middle of the train developed a problem with an axle. An axle, uh, and this is a very classic railroad defect that is, is very dangerous. It's actually the cause of a great many uh, derailments and wrecks. Uh, and this, um, basically what happens is, as you can imagine, uh, the axle and wheel are supposed to turn. If things interfere with it turning uh, mechanically, then it can actually create a problem up to and including melting down so that essentially the axle disappears functionally. So uh, at this point, this is what we think is the immediate, what they call approximate cause. Mm -hmm. uh, the big problem going forward is not just to find out why it was that that was allowed to happen, but what are the root problems that come before that? And that's really the critical thing because there's uh, a tradition in the class one railroads of, you know, they find the proximate cause, they find some individuals, they punish those individuals, and then they never have to address the policies. Mm -hmm. And it was, a concerning amount of time before the public even found out exactly what this train was carrying, right? Yeah, and of course, this gets back to the critical, crucial question of uh, how the train is run. So in this case, the train had, fortunately for everyone concerned, this train had a crew of three. Normally, it would have been just two, an engineer and a conductor, but they also had a trainee. So the fact that they had the crew that had the capacity to do things like separate the locomotive power, pull it away from the uh, wreck train to prevent further problems, but to be there on the site with their expertise and their knowledge of the consist and their ability to, to interact with the, uh, the situation, uh, that was a key thing. However, it took them a while, took the responders a while, and the authorities a while to figure out exactly what they were dealing with, partly because of fire. Uh, and so, uh, again, what so the, the key thing here was is that they were able to determine fairly quickly what the consist was. But the, then the question was, is you know where are the dangerous products and uh, what's happening with them? The original instruction to the public was to shelter in place. There's a big question about whether that was the best response at the time, but uh, there'll be a thorough investigation by the National Sa uh, Transportation Safety Board that'll report on these things. We just have to keep the pressure on them to make sure that a full public inquiry is made regarding this this matter and that all of the contributing factors, including, including the um, trying to avoid scheduled maintenance, uh, the question of why the defect wasn't uh, found earlier because this is a ridiculous situation that you could actually have a, a train that has this kind of a an, uh, an axle problem that isn't discovered until the very last minute when it's too late. Ooh. Right, and and this you know and and this train was carrying what was it chlorine? Uh, it had various products. Twenty of the 150 cars were hazmat cars. Uh, 10 of those 20 were involved in the 50 cars that actually came off the rails and tumbled. 
the the critical ones, the ones that uh, are getting the attention is, is called vinyl chloride. It's a component in manufacture of plastics. It's a particularly dangerous chemical. And in this case, one of the thing, one of the results was when they finally ended up having to uh, use a small explosive device to release pressure in some of these cars, they actually uh, released byproducts, which were phosgene gas and hydrogen chlorine gas into the atmosphere. Phosgene gas, for those who don't know, is a World War I trench warfare gas. Uh, These are dangerous things. Uh, So, um, and there are things about the way that the train was maintained, the way that the wayside was maintained, the way that the train was blocked, all of these contributed to making the the dangers worse than they would have had to have been. And what what does that kind of gas do, this this actual literal, you know, uh, weapon of war? What does that do when, you know, when when people make contact with it? Uh, Unfortunately, that's a that's beyond the scope of my expertise. I, I am hazmat certified, but what you basically do is you you have reference materials to you know to determine when you're figuring out okay this consist had this and this and this chemicals in it and uh, in this case your big problem is fire in this case your big problem is air in this case it's explosion in this case the case we're talking about the vinyl chloride has many bad aspects uh, and the the real thing I would want to say, I mean, people can look up phosgene gas if they want to, but uh, is that one of the things that happens in a hazmat wreck like this is that the intense heat of the fires actually produce brand new chemical components, toxic chemical components that weren't in the consist to start with. It's a chemical process, right? Mm-hmm. And those new uh chemical toxic chemicals end up in the in the water and in the soil and in some cases they're forever chemicals uh this is one of the things we saw in the 2013 wreck in the town of lac megantic in canada so with a, one of the things that the public has to do is they have to make sure that the authorities follow up on all of the byproducts of the of the disaster not just the labeled ones on the tanks right right and so the um it, it it's still the case that people within a certain proximity are not allowed to go back home right now. Is Actually, right? I don't or, think that's true now. I, as to my knowledge, they were allowed to return. I want to say uh, two nights ago. Okay, uh, I believe it was two nights ago. Uh, and of course, there's still monitoring going on, and and they have there have been some reports of. Uh, you know, detections and things like that, although they assure everyone still that they haven't reached the levels that are concerning. Uh, mm-hmm. This is air quality we're talking about. Uh, so hopefully the, uh, the, the monitors will be responsible to make sure that people know if it turns out that this is a, uh, a problem that requires people to leave their homes again. So, uh, you know, all this sounds bad, but, you know, when I saw the, yesterday morning that um, that Norfolk Southern said they would give a $25,000 check to the Ohio town where this happened. So, I mean, this is, you know, I mean, you know, that, yeah, that's basically... This is a back, 
the, here's a story about that. Uh, so I, I referred to the, the Lac Megantic wreck from 2013 up in uh, Quebec, which was a terrible event. Uh, not un well, not the same as the circumstances of this one, but in that case, 47 people in that town died immediately and some, Jeez, and some more in the, afterwards. But uh, the reason I mention it is because uh, one of the first things that happened at that wreck was representatives of unscrupulous law firms started showing up in town and signing people up you know, for uh, uh, claim processing, liability stuff and everything. Uh, and uh, so what's going on right now is, is that the corporation is doing everything that they can to uh, limit their liability and their um, uh, exposure, shall we say, to response from the public, try to get ahead of it, try to create some legal um, uh, protections, and that's what this money that you're talking about is part of. Which, you know, let's just, to, so, so, in case anybody listening on the radio didn't catch that sarcasm, $25,000 for this accident is obviously not enough. There's like, you know, I, I think somebody divided that by resident and it would be $50, you know, per resident in this town. So it's obviously, you know, n certainly not, and you know, this shouldn't have happened in the first place, right? But now that it has... That's $25,000 is not enough. But let's talk from a company that made $12 billion in profits last year is my understanding. And how many Fritz do you do you know off the top of your head? And I should have had this number ready. But do you know off the top of your head how much money they've spent in stock buybacks recently? I actually do not know that figure, but it's a big factor. And it is on all the class ones, all the class ones that practice the uh, are currently practicing the operating, and this is across North America, uh, the, the, what they call precision scheduled railroading. So, uh, but it's a big number. And it, what's happening is, is that instead of spending the money on making a safe railroad, which we know how to do, that's mm -hmm. one of the things that's key here is that the railroaders and there are people in the industry that know how to do these things safely. They know what needs to be done. They know the science and they're not allowed to because the corporations are dominated by uh, hedge fund operations that dictate that their big goal is to do stock buybacks. Right. And so, um, I, uh, looking it up really quickly, Norfolk Southern announces new $10 billion stock buyback program. This was from March of 2022. So, you know. And over $2.3 billion in 2018. Insane. And so let's, you know, so that, that's just to illustrate they've got money to fix this. And so let's talk about some of the things that they could have done, so some of the things that we could do to avoid this. And one of those, Fritz, as I understand, is that this train did not have what are called electronically controlled pneumatic brakes. Can you talk to us about those brakes and, and some of... You sure know, enough. Yeah. 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 Uh, 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 this is the thing that the industry itself did a lot of the research on and initially started having a favorable approach to. They call them ECP brakes. Um, uh, and then as soon as it started to be discussed that maybe this would be something that would be mandated, they all backed away from it. And now they spend a, a significant amount of money lobbying and using their power, which is uh, um, way more than anybody understands, 
to um, uh, make sure that they didn't get a regulation requiring ECP brakes. So essentially, the way that all freight and passenger trains in the country run today um, is a, an extension of an early 20th century type of, of braking operation that involves uh, they're pneumatically controlled uh, by compressor on the locomotive and uh, the signal is carried throughout the train by the air pressure in the brake pipe that determines whether the brakes are on or whether the brakes are off. Now, this was a huge uh, step forward in the early 20th century compared to how things were before, but today we have far better technology and this is an example. So hmm. with ECP braking, the way it works is that there there's actually uh, electrically triggered braking devices on each individual car that uh, we have the technology now that, that we can um, uh, have each individual car act appropriately in the event of a braking situation. So in this situation, in the situation with this train, without ECP braking, one of the things that happens is because the train parted in the middle at the where the original problem with the axle is, causes the brake pipes to part, the brake pipe vents the atmosphere, there's an emergency application of the, of the brake. So, so for example, with the, the, the derailed cars, what you can see is that the first car that gets its brake applied is the first one where the brake is, and then the one behind it, and the one behind it, and the one behind it, and the one behind it. But the, what that means is, is that the heavy weight, and this train was blocked with the heaviest, you know, 40% of its weight was in the last third of the train, uh, is basically running up on a, on a mm. stopping car. So that's what creates a lot of the tumbling and stuff. But with ECP braking, you could actually have braking starting to happen at the rear, which would help to retard that momentum that's causing this jackknifing, tumbling thing. Now, if you look in back of me, the picture that you see right here is a derailment right in the middle of Washington, D.C., where I live. I had come back from Lac-Megantic, uh, uh, a visit there that related to the 2013 wreck on the night before May Day of 2016. And we got up that morning. This is the, what took place right in the middle of downtown D.C. And it was essentially a very similar kind of a cause, which was a, a defect with a wheel axle. Um, and what the point that needs to be made here. So this wreck didn't hurt anybody, et cetera, but, um, but it was just luck that it didn't kill many people. It was only a couple of car lengths away from an apartment building and all of the transportation infrastructure you can see there. And it did have caustic materials that drained into the soil and into the water. Uh, so the, uh, ECP braking, which was your original point, is is one of the ways we can move away from the dynamics of 19th century railroading. Yes, and you know the the Lever News has some really good reporting about what the industry has done to try to fight some of these regulations, and they have some really good history about 
you know, the uh, the, the way that the Lever News reported it is that the the Obama administration did eventually issue a very narrow, um, some very narrow rules about ECP brakes on certain trains um, that were very narrowly defined, too narrowly defined. You know, I, I think they said hazardous trains have to have ECP, ECP brakes, but that hazardous was so narrowly defined that even this train would not have fallen under that definition. But then in 2017, the Trump administration rescinded it and uh, the Lever News has reached out for, to the Buttigieg Department of Transportation, and the Department of Transportation has said they have no plans to reinstate even this narrow safety rule from the Obama era. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a scandal. This is a complete scandal because, uh, as you already pointed out, it's not like they don't have the money. Uh, right. And the science is there. The, the evidence is overwhelming that this would be a, a better, safer way. Uh, in my career, I ran high-speed trains uh, that had ECP braking. Uh, and I can tell you personally, and there are others in the industry and in RWU who have worked equipment that had ECP braking that uh, know, know that it's a better uh, a better situation. So uh, this is where the this is where our problem is, and, and it was it's going to require public outcry, which is the reason why I hope your listeners uh, will also keep their uh, ears open, eyes and ears open about possibilities, opportunities to be able to talk about why we need to change this. What we really need to talk about, though, I mean, the ECP thing is, is very important, but we need to talk about precision schedule railroading, and we need to talk about... Uh, for example, the the labor strife of the fall that centered around the question of scheduling. All those things are part of what happened in Ohio. The other thing is is that the railroads, including the Norfolk Southern, got rid of so many inspectors. And mm -hmm. after they got rid of those inspectors, then they did everything to get authority to do fewer inspections. What we know now is that the, that through the grapevine is that the NS is doing what they always do, which is to go around looking for individuals to blame so that they can then, you know, discipline those individuals and not address the policies that got us to this place. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and let's and. You know the precision scheduled railroad roading. I mean, the ultimate the ultimate thing of that is is that it's making too few workers work too much. And illustrate for us how it is helpful to you know. You mentioned that this particular train had three people on it, which made it uh, which made it easier for them to respond and try to lessen the damage to the extent that they could, whereas it would have been harder if there were only two people. And the train companies now only want to have one person on these insanely long trains. And so how is it, you know, it, it, I'm just a layman. Why mm -hmm. is it, you know, uh, asking well, me, this kind of rhetorically, this, why, yeah, why is yeah. it that having more people on the train is Let me make it very simple. If you only have one person on the train, the only thing that that train can do is go forward or stop. That is mm. it, period, final. So when they when the corporations say that this is what they're interested in, they're say they're saying to you that 
out of the thousands and thousands of trains that we sent out that they would like to have them not able to back up, not able to decouple, not able to separate, not able to do any of those things, which leaves, you know, I mean, so, I mean, so even for the layperson, you can imagine that right. if it, if what needed to be done was to back up or what needed to be done was to uncouple something that you'd have to have one person controlling the locomotive and another person doing the cut lever on the ground. Right. Mm, but right. if you have a single person there, there's no way that that can be done. So imagine even the millions of more mundane examples, like your community is cut off from emergency services because there's a train across all of the road crossings and they don't have the ability to cut the crossing. Uh, you know, they can't, if there's a, you know, a fire under a car, they can't uncouple stuff and move it away. There, there's a uh, single person crews can't do those things. It's and just we, disrespectful we to the public. It is. It's, and it, well, it's not just that. It's also very, very dangerous. Right. And this has been, so back in 2015, I was part of some public, hearings uh, with the FRA on this question and community after community and senators and mayors and people from all across the country are in there testifying about the increasing number of problems that they're having at their crossings and their situations like that. Um, but so far, the overwhelming power of, of these corporations, and we witnessed an aspect of that in this last round of bargaining where they were able to get even the national administration to treat the dispute as if there was only one party to it, which were the railroad workers, and that they didn't have any rights to uh, to redress. So um, instead of addressing the the cause of the of the redress, and that's still out there to be resolved. Right. But I should say that it's like it's the PSR is not just a problem of not having enough people. That's a big part of it. But they also, uh, because they're, you know, they're so interested in the operating ratio, they, they sell off equipment, they mothball locomotives, they uh, get rid of hump yards, they, they uh, sell real estate, all kinds of things that were assets that provided opportunities. There were tools that could be used to have safer operation, but it looked great on the next quarter's report. Right. That's something that's standing out to me is and this is not a trend unique to the railroad industry but it seems very uh, egregious in the railroad industry is that you have these capitalists just like strip mining their own capacity hmm. and and you know more or less sabotaging their own operations just to hit some numbers on the next quarter without any long-term thinking whatsoever about even their own efficiency in operations, much less worker safety and, you know, public safety. Yeah, well, so you hit on a good point here, this financial strip mining thing, which is something that the hedge funds have done in a lot of other industries where they take mm -hmm. a healthy company and they they strip mine it financially by this process of stock buybacks, basically. In other words, so they invest enough in the industry to get their people on the board, their board votes for the policies that end up creating these situations with the buybacks, then they can take their money and leave. And they basically what they do is they end up leaving the rotting hulk of what was once a, a good performing uh, corporation of one kind or another 
with all of the saddled with the debt that they've transferred all around. Now that is a process that is still ongoing with the class one railroads in North America. Uh, some of them are starting to make some noises like they're understanding that essentially these policies that looked so good at the time are actually making it impossible for them to function in a certainly in a safe way going forward. Yeah. And so, you know, I mentioned that you are, uh, you know, you're a veteran railroader, you've been a, a regional officer of, of your union, and now you're a representative for the Railroad Workers United, um, which is a, you know, a broad um, cross-craft solidarity caucus of railroad workers. And so what are y'all, you know, what is kind of y'all's... Uh, uh, 10 point plan, so to speak. I know that you don't have like a, a 10 point plan. But <laughs> right, what is right. your proposal? What well, are I'll your, tell what you are what. Uh, first of all, we, we try to make sure that everybody understands exactly what it is that precision schedule railroading does. It's not precision, it's not scheduled, mm -hmm. and it's not railroading. And the second part pertinent to this, I mean, there's, there's lots to talk about, but is that what we now know is, is that the people who live in North America cannot depend on the class one railroads as they are constituted to not only keep them safe, but also not to, to serve them, not to provide the transportation services that, that we need. So Railroad Workers United has joined with other groups like United Electrical Workers and, and an increasing number of others to say that, look, this is we have ample evidence across the century that we need the railroads to be operated in the public interest mm -hmm. because the carriers, they'll, they'll play the common carrier utility card when it suits them. And all the rest right. of the time, they'll say, hey, this is private, keep out. Don't right. tell us what to do. Even though they continually take and take and take and take from the public patrimony. So uh, Railroad Workers United calls for the public ownership of the railroads. Uh, you can go to uh, railroadworkersunited.org. You can uh, see our resolutions on this matter, also on the technical matters that we talked about earlier, like ECP breaks. So Railroad Workers United for, uh, functions in the way that uh, we've needed for 150 years, which is all the different people and all the different crafts on all the different railroads are all divided up in one way or another. Railroad Workers United works to, to get uh, a, a voice for all of the stakeholders, mm -hmm. all of the, the not, well, including the public, all the right. stakeholders need to be heard. Kind of like, um, like uh, one one big union, something something like that. Um. <laughs> well, uh, uh, we're we're not uh, Railroad Workers United is not a no, union. Right, we're yeah, all union. We're almost all, except for the ones that work on short line railroads that aren't organized. We're all members of unions, and mm -hmm. we are active in our unions. But what we find is that that's insufficient. Right. That's right. not. Uh, and in my career. Uh, as I said, I've been a local and regional officer, I, you know, and I know the ins and outs. I know how it all works. I know where the bodies are buried mm. and we need a railroad workers united. We need a, we need an organization of this kind in order to do the things that aren't otherwise being done to speak up. And one of the problems, and this is a practical one is, is that the culture on almost every class one railroad is, is that, uh, people who are actively on the job working are afraid to speak up mm. there uh, that's 
in recent years, we were able to successfully get some whistleblower protections, but historically, people are victimized when they stand up and they tell about what's really going on behind the curtain. Uh, so that's another thing that we're in a position to do with Railroad Workers United is to be able to talk openly right. about the things that, that are not represented at any of the tables. Uh, and the regulators are largely captured by the carriers. They largely uh, are, are an adjunct to the carriers, what they want. Mm -hmm. And this is a dangerous situation. We've got to do something and about it. And, you know, talking about the regulatory capture, I cannot fathom the position that Pete Buttigieg is putting himself into. I mean, you know, this is a guy that obviously he, he's got ambitions. And, you know, how is it that he thinks he's going to win a Democratic primary, much less a general election, when his tenure at the Department of Transportation is so lackluster? I mean, we're talking about breaking a rail strike. We're talking about not, um, you know, <laughs> not even instituting after this major accident a incredibly narrow Obama safety regulation. Not even going beyond that, but just reinstituting yeah. a narrow. I mean, it's it's bizarre. But um, and I also wanted to to um, for the public ownership of the rails. What you were mentioning there, I wanted to. Uh, you know, expand on that just a bit. We had a long conversation specifically about that with another member of Railroad Workers United, Paul Lindsay, and he pointed mm -hmm. out to me that what y'all are calling for is not a public ownership of the rail companies, which is something that I would support and I would be fine with, but it's a little bit less, it's a little bit less than that, and it is literally an ownership of the rail roads. Just like the government owns the car roads, the government should own the railroads because, and, and this is something that maybe people don't know, the, the tracks, the tracks themselves are not owned by the public, which is bizarre, which is really, really it's, bizarre. It's also pretty unusual in the, in the world. In, right. in the world, a world broadly, it's very weird that, uh, uh, you know, at least in a developed nation, uh, that the infrastructure is just left in the hands of the private profiteers. Right. So now in Railroad Workers United, we are, you know, we're a diverse group. We have a number of different kinds of ideas about exactly what this notion of public control, public ownership is. Uh, but you've seen our resolution and mm -hmm. what we understand, the most important thing, which is right. something that people in this country have understood in the past sometimes, like World War One, is that you cannot count on the private boards of directors of the Class One railroads to do the right thing. So if we right. want the right thing done, we're going to have to take it over. Yeah. Fritz Edler, veteran railroader, member, representative of Railroad Workers United. Is there anything else that you think uh, that you wanted to hit on before we let you go? Uh, no, I would just say, uh, please, I mean, this the reason why this particular accident rose to the level that in public attention it did was because of the toxins and the, and things right. like that. But as you look at the wrecked picture behind me, for example, it wasn't the same way. Do we have to have people die? Do we have to have right. communities destroyed? Do we have to, in order to be able to stop this uh, <laughs> pun accepted, whatever, stop this train, stop this uh, process where the railroads are 
making by policy their their properties less safe they're, and they're also making it a place where nobody wants to work mm-hmm. uh, you you i mean they 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 admit now that they've gotten rid of too many people but problem is it's pretty hard to hire a conductor when you tell them first of all you won't have any private life and not only that but we're trying to eliminate your job right so uh, they're they're struggling. Uh, one of the people on this particular wreck out in Ohio was a trainee. They're in the process of trying to get those people back because they desperately need them to just provide basic service. But uh, so the, the the railroads are making it a place where nobody's going to want to work, and and that it's going to be every single day going forward an accumulated additional risk. Fritz, thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Thank you all. Appreciate it. So long. All right, folks. Uh, That was Fritz Edler, veteran railroader, uh, former local and regional officer of the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineer and Trainmen, a Teamsters affiliate and current representative for the Railroad Workers United, um, talking about the train derailment in Ohio. Yeah, definitely uh, send my solidarity and love and support to Railroad Workers United. RWU is doing fantastic work. Um, I think Fritz really hit on it that it's something that's you know been long needed mm-hmm. uh, to have that kind of cross-craft solidarity get the members from different unions talking to each other uh, amongst themselves and then, you know, bringing in the public uh, because we all have a stake here. And, you know, I really appreciate, appreciate him giving us some background on that and certainly appreciate the work RWU is doing uh, because I think a nationalization of the rails is absolutely uh, a needed step. Yeah. It's, you know, when you say nationalization of the rails, I mean, he mentioned that, that, they have, you know, they have some diverse views. And so right, maybe, he of was hinting at, maybe he was hinting at that he kind of like me thinks that it would also make sense to nationalize the companies themselves. But but just just setting that aside, their resolution calling for public ownership of the rails of the tracks is common so, sense. So common sense. Yeah. You would not allow UPS to own our interstate highway system. Right. Like that just wouldn't make sense. That wouldn't make sense at all. So obviously the rails should be owned and operated by and for the public good. So obvious. Yeah. I mean, because look at what we've seen over the years. We've seen the railroad companies monopolize the railroad industry. They have systemically weakened regulations by lobbying these crooked sellout politicians and bureaucrats. They have reduced their own staff by thousands people that they need to have safe, efficient operations. They've deferred maintenance and capital investments, all while engaging in these massive stock buybacks. They've worked with the Biden admin and both parties in Congress to prevent their own workers from engaging in their legal right to strike, their human right to strike. And this is all happening while these rail barons, just like they're, you know, coming back from the 19th century, you know, they're engorging themselves on these record profits while stripping their own operational capacity in a way that threatens the American people and the American economy, uh, you know, to say nothing of their own workforce. So it's right. just really disgusting. Absolutely. We're going to take a break. We're going to be right back and we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about Medicaid in Alabama and uh, child labor in uh 
not just Alabama. You know, we've been covering this child labor story in Alabama, and you know, a lot of you know, every time every time we cover it, we always get comments. Oh yeah, well look at look at where it's coming from. Alabama herder herder. You know, backwards Hicks, right? Um, and this kind of stuff isn't just happening in Alabama. And in fact, in fact, Alabama is not the one trying to expand it. We're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 7452 
Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Alabama's only union talk radio show. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host and fellow agitator is Adam Keller. We appreciate everybody tuning in this morning, participating in the chat and the Facebook discussions. Uh, we have a Ryan, Ryan, Ryan in the chat saying, I'm writing my first college essay on Harlan County because of you guys. Hell yes, Ryan. Thank you for that. That's awesome. That is very cool. We really appreciate feedback like that. Yeah, feel free to send us the essay. Yeah, yeah, would love to discuss with you. Call in and talk about it. Uh, Will from uh, 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 Teamster from California says, speaking of UPS, they just announced layoffs of the controversial 22.4 two-tier driver in response to our aggressive negotiations. Um And Infinite Content mentions that UPS and the Teamsters are about to go to war over this upcoming contract, and uh, absolutely, that's going to be the case for sure. So, and we're uh, looking forward to um, covering that, and and we're we're going to have to talk to some Southern Teamsters um, about this contract negotiations because it's going to be very, very important, very, uh, very nationally relevant and and locally relevant. Uh, Adam, you said that we had a caller on the line from a two five six area code. Uh, let's pull them up. And uh, see what they've got to say. Two five six area code. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, Mike, Alabama. Mike from Alabama. What's on your mind? Uh, you know, I've spent thirty years in manufacturing, over twenty years in the UAW. What I don't understand is how labor members can keep supporting Democrats when they're destroying all of our Jobs. I mean, look at the pipeline. You worry about the railroads? Hey, we wouldn't be shipping on the, the stuff on the, the railroads as much if we had the pipeline. Look how many jobs that cost. So the co- yeah, yeah. So the comment is you don't understand how how union members support support Democrats because they they cost jobs. Is that it? Yeah. Look at the pipeline. Yeah, I mean, so, so, yeah, yeah. So our our position on on the show has always been has always been that the union leadership, in our view, is much too wedded to the Democratic Party, uh, is too reliant on them, um, and uh, you know, just just counts on them too much. But on the other, on the flip side of that. That we have two parties in this country, and look at the Republicans. You know, I mean, the Republican they uh, you know Democrats are are you know 
are bad friends or they're neutral adversaries or, or whatever, but Republicans literally want us dead, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, you know. They do not. Absolutely. Misconception, you keep saying. No one, I, I, I love the, the ability of collective bargaining. Mm-hmm. But that's what it is, it's collective bargaining. And everybody, you know, I'm sorry, you were saying the profiteers. If nobody was out for a profit, none of us would have jobs. Well, uh, I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that. There are, you know, the government, for example, you know, the Postal Service. Government is the taxpayer. The Postal Service runs without any taxpayer money without a profit and functions really well. Um, but, but look how much money they lose every year. They don't lose money every year. And see, look, 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 this is this is one of the issues. This is one of the issues, right? The Postal Service does not operate, uh, they do not create a profit. They don't operate on uh, taxpayer funds. They are self-sufficient and, to de- and they are also highly unionized, the Postal Service is. To destroy the Postal Services, yeah, to... To, to destroy the Postal Service, to try to privatize it, Republicans and Democrats in 2006 uh, put on this onerous uh, 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 requirement for them to pre-fund their retiree health care 75 years in advance. No corporation has to do that. No private entity has to do that. No other government agency has to do that. They tried to do that specifically to make it look like uh, the Postal Service runs in the red. If you take away that requirement, they are not in debt. It, by In like nine, 90% of their debt is wiped away if you take away that requirement and allow them to operate like any other business in this country, right? And so that's... Go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, that's one of the... And, and that was spearheaded both by, you know, Republicans and conservative Democrats. But, you know, uh, it, look, I'm not, you know, I'm not interested in... telling you that you should vote for Democrats or that, you know, anything like that. And I think, I agree that unions should spend much less of our PAC money, which is important to recognize that the PAC money is different than our dues dollars, right? Members voluntarily donate to PACs um, separate from dues. It's not dues. (laughs) Yeah, it's not dues. That's Members vote, but members do not give very much money to PAC money. Right. But the the money that we do... yeah, the money that we do give to our PACs, I think less of it should go to politics in general. I think more of it should go to organizing and stuff like that. But, but tell me this. Are you that naive that you don't think this money funds Democrats? PAC money funds Democrats, not dues money. Well, I paid, I paid dues for a long time. And what I discovered was that uh, whereas... We want to on pensions for the membership. Uh, we shouldn't get it. But our bargaining committee always managed to make sure that the national, they always have COLA on their pensions. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you do- yeah. get, hey, I'll, I'll jump in here on that and just say that I think you're speaking to a problem that we have inside the unions that's real. And whether you're conservative, liberal, left wing, right wing, doesn't matter. All members deserve respect and dignity inside their unions. 
and transparency and democracy. And unfortunately, that hasn't always been the case. And I know, you know, you mentioned the, the one-year affiliate. Well, in any case, and especially local unions. I've been in local union politics. I've been elected, been appointed. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, I, I'm proud for the wages and benefits that the unions have negotiated. What I, I'm afraid of is like one of my buddies, you know, Anything that's to do with business or industry, he's against them because they're employers. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with employers. There's problems in every industry, every business. But when you turn your back on the very people that have been supporting you, like the, the the union members that could be working on a pipeline that could be preventing these rail disasters by pumping the fuel in the pipeline, the most safest way to transport it. How do you justify it? Well, I mean, you're talking about the pipeline, stopping the pipeline, killing jobs. And one of the reasons that, I mean, one of the the things that people say about pipelines is that it's more efficient. And what does more efficient means? It means it's actually, if you have the pipeline, you're going to have some short-term construction jobs, but you're going to have less people working to transport the oil. Pipelines actually put people on the trains out of work. They put people who are transporting oil over cars out of work. So, hey, we put the ones transport. We're talking oil, fuel, the, the backbone of America's economy and productivity. We're not talking, oh, we lose. You're going to get more jobs by introducing fuel production, safely transporting it, and the jobs that are going to come from the lower cost to the American people. Right now, the economy's in the friggin' tank, man. We're, I mean, look at inflation. Most of that can be tied not just to this crazy shutdown, but uh, COVID shutdown, but because of fuel cost period. And Democrats, uh, Biden said the other day, well, we're going to need petroleum for another 10 years. And last year he said, going to be out of that business in 10 years. Tell me, how do we justify this behavior? Isn't Biden? By- isn't the U.S. producing more oil under Biden than we did under Trump? You know, I'm not I, I'm not sure. I'll say this as, as a union member that I, I'd love to see union jobs transitioning off of fossil fuels. And, and to me, a good job is something that benefits the community, not pollutes the community. So I hear what you're saying because we have lots of brothers and sisters working in the fossil fuel industry. And I don't want to ever see them lose jobs, livelihoods, benefits, insurance, anything. But, you know. They want the, the average American, who some of them grow up to be union workers. Do we want them to grow up in a nation where we're dependent on China for the battery power on electric cars? And people seem to forget it's all going to be natural gas, coal, or nuclear that's powering these electric cars. People seem to think that electricity just comes out of the air. That's stupid. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's definitely important to understand where stuff happens, but, you know, I, I think that, I mean, the, the CHIPS Act is, is one thing that I, I think it doesn't go far enough, but there's, you know, there are steps being made to bring some of our, um, some of our manufacturing back to, uh, back to the U.S. I mean, my understanding is that more manufacturing jobs have come back uh, in the last couple of years than have, uh, than have since go back about six years. Yeah, I think we were. I think we were still outsourcing jobs six years ago. If you look at the stat on what come back, to, what came back to country, more people. I mean, I mean, Trump. Trump literally went to. Trump literally went to. And we're we're going a bit long on this. And 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 I and also and also it's like this conversation is you know, it, it's not what we are focused on. You know, I, we do want to do some amount no, of, I know of... We're on rail. We're on rail. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, Trump Trump actually went to a, a, a factory in Lordstown, Ohio, and said, you know, don't sell your houses. I'm going to make sure that your jobs stay here. And they didn't. They left under his administration. Under his administration, those people lost their jobs. And it's never happened under them here. No, it has happened. Uh, uh, Bill Clinton signed NAFTA. <laughs> hey, I, I was raised up when Clinton was telling us how good NAFTA was. Right? I know don't, it. Don't, you can't look NAFTA, Clinton. Uh, that was a lot of smoke up our butts. Uh, yeah. How many jobs we lose? Hundreds of thousands, at least. Hey, Mike, I appreciate you calling. Um Appreciate you calling. Appreciate your longtime membership in the union as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we got another caller on the line, but you know, feel free to call back next week. And and you know, just just remember, we're we're union guys. We're not Democrat, you know, lovers. We uh, we have our critiques and of actually, the Democrats. Before uh, you called in, we were just talking about you know Buttigieg and yeah. Uh, so you'll find you know, no so. love for them uh, on this show. Very much. You nailed it on Buttigieg. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, hey, I appreciate, I appreciate you calling. calling in. All right, man. Thanks, guys. Back. Thank right. you. Have a good day. You too. We had another caller. We did. Uh, let me see if I can get them on the line. Oops, they have dropped. They've dropped. Yeah. So, if you want to call back in, feel free. The phone yeah. number is eight four four eight nine nine TVLR. That is eight four four eight nine nine. TVLR 8448998857. I, I know we went long on that. I don't want to belabor the point, but I do think it's important um I think it's important to emphasize that like the pipeline jobs, I, I do hear that a lot. I understand why that's a valid concern for some folks, but mm-hmm. a couple things on that. For one, the the amount of jobs we're talking has been vastly exaggerated uh both in their length and then their quantity of jobs involved. Uh, but more important than important than that, to me, as someone who hopes to be on this earth for a little while and who has mm-hmm. a daughter who, you know, we hope was, is going to be on this earth for, for quite a long time, uh, is that we are literally destroying our ecosystem. Right. And fossil fuel companies are putting their short-term profits above the long-term survival of the human species, along with all other living species on this planet. Uh, so... For me, you know, arguing about pipelines, that's not even where we should be at. We should be building good union jobs to restore the environment, uh, to have a clean energy grid, to get us off this pollutant 
you know, toxic stuff that is killing so many of our people. Mm-hmm. And I'm and and you know, in the chat, somebody said, "Didn't a pipeline just leak in Kansas?" A few all, weeks all, and, and I think know, someone I think else said, yeah. "All pipelines leak," and that's right. true. I mean, and that's in a, it's not just natural gas; it could be uh, any number of chemicals involved. And you know, the fracking process itself is very uh, destructive to the environment. The methane leaks. So, you know, there's there's a lot of costs that come with that type of economic development. And what I'm suggesting is that we can have good union jobs in our communities that don't involve poisoning right. our communities. And it's and that's yeah. a that's a devil's choice that we've right. been presented. Mm-hmm. Just like the choice between Democrats and Republicans. You can get screwed in one way by these people or screwed in a different way by those people. Uh, how about we not get screwed? Right. And, and we and as the- working people, if we come together in mass and stop bickering over some of the little stuff, we can transform this country to do that. And, you know, and I think the caller is, is a good example of, of you know, uh, people can have different opinions about this or that thing. Right. But, the, but the important thing is, is that we, you know, that, that we do come together and we have more collective power and that whoever is in office, that we have enough power as working people to make them do what they ought to do. And I think a good example of that is in West Virginia back in 2018 when uh, the teachers went on strike and they forced a Republican trifecta to uh, give them a raise and, and, you know, do this and that and the other thing. Beat Uh, off uh, the... uh insurance attacks the uh, right. the attacks uh, on their health care and pension um where so. where obviously and and it's just the case that that you know that republicans are antagonistic to working people i mean we uh, to, to they do not support collective organized, bargaining yeah to the organized working class i mean we've had a coal miner strike you know talk about talk about coal right this is you know this is a bit different because it's metallurgical coal it's not energy coal but you know we talk about coal and if, if we're going to have these jobs they need to they need to be good they need to be good paying they need to be union and we have one of those places that have been on strike for 2 years in this state and not a single not a single republican politician has come out in support of these workers and nor will they nor will they whereas at least there's been a couple of democrats that have made some amount of they're, they're, they've made some amount of, you know, noise about, oh, you know, I support them even though they haven't done nearly as much as I think they should, right? But, you know, I mean, look, there's, you know, why aren't Republicans, I mean, these are coal miners. These are coal miners. Why, and, and, and when Tommy Tuberville had the opportunity on the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee to speak to an Alabama coal miner in D.C., he read from the international private equity-owned Warrior Mets press release. Right. At their hearing. There was a hearing on what private equity is doing to working people, and an Alabama coal miner, Braxton Reich, testified in front of our senator, Tommy Tuberville, and he responded by reading off some boss BS from international private equity ghouls, right? That's what these people are doing. Right. They love the coal barons, not the coal miners. Right. Coal miners are just as expendable as every other worker in this country. The railroad workers, the service industry workers, the teachers and nurses, uh, they don't have any love for those coal miners or the other fossil fuel industry workers themselves. It's about the industry executives, the hedge funds who are invested in these industries. It's not about the working people. Not yeah. at all. 
We've got a couple other segments that we had lined up, uh, but we are running short of t on time. And so I figure what we'll do, Adam, is, is talk about this update to the Chilton County stuff. You want to do that, or do you think we have enough time for uh, for one of these other segments? It's up to you. Um, let's see. I th Personally, it looks like we have enough time to at least mention uh, the child labor situation. Okay, uh, yeah, that's right. That, 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 that's, that's a good call. Good call. So we've been following here in Alabama this this big story I, I you know i think it should be a lot bigger frankly because of of what it is about children children like 12 year old children working for hyundai in manufacturing environments and not just any manufacturing environment not just any manufacturing environments manufacturing environments that have had osha fines violations for amputation and crush hazards, right? So this isn't even just the normal, like, okay, manufacturing is dangerous. This is manufacturing that is so dangerous as to have violated the law. That's where these children are working. And we've covered this story with, in my view, the appropriate revulsion anytime that we talk about this. You know, there's some, you know, uh, to a certain extent, you know, we want to be like a news thing and, and you know, we want to do reporting uh, and we do some reporting and we want to be truthful and we want to you know relay the facts and not embellish stuff or or and certainly not make stuff up but you know there, there's this idea that to be truthful you've got to be uh neutral and that's just and I, I i just don't buy that i don't buy that i think that you know you know we're talking about child labor i don't think it's that important to be like oh yeah, but you know the bosses say it's okay blah, blah, right. Know, right both um, sides right uh but and anytime I talk to this story about with other people, like in my personal life, when I'm talking, you know, most of the people that I know in my personal life are like conservative, uh, they react the same way that I do. You know, they're like 12 year old children working in manufacturing plants. That's crazy because that's appropriate. That's the appropriate reaction when you hear children working in car plants. You're, the reaction should be revulsion. Okay. Uh, I thought we dealt with this 100 years ago. But not everybody has that reaction when they hear about child labor in dangerous environments. In fact, it's quite possible that Iowa, Iowa Republican State Senator Jason Schultz heard this story. Actually, he, it's possible he was listening to us on the radio and said, oh man, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. Because just last week, he put forward a bill that would allow 14 to 17 year olds to work in mining, meat packing, demolition, operating guillotine shears, and other dangerous jobs. People who aren't even old enough to get to a driver's drive. permit. 14 year olds. This guy, a Republican, I mean, you know, let's just, that's a fact, right? This guy's a Republican, wants to allow. 14-year-olds to work as a coal miner. The exact same scenario, you know, the whole, th like one of the big things about the child labor laws that we got was because of the public reaction to seeing children with soot on their faces. He saw that picture and was like, hell yeah, that's America, right? Cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> Saved a lot of money over hiring somebody normal sized. Less calories, don't you know? It's crazy. And and look, and, and look, uh, 
I th- and here again, I think most people, even conservatives, even people who vote Republican, you know, I say, I say it's worth noting that he's a Republican because it's worth noting that he's a Republican, that this is what, you know, a Republican elected official is doing, right? And also for, for our previous caller, this is a Republican who said that his, uh, his proudest achievement is pushing a bill that ended collective bargaining rights for public sector workers in Iowa. That's his proudest moment, this guy, right? So, uh, but you know, look, I I think that most Republican voters are rightly repulsed by this, but that's not all. Under his bill, employers would not be civilly liable if the children are injured or killed, even if the accident happened at work due to the company's negligence. Bills like this are cropping up all over the place, usually backed by the National Federation of Independent Businesses, as reported in the American Prospect by friend of the show, Sarah Lazare, and as we discussed with her on the program a few weeks back. But I mean, this is just crazy. Bosses are so averse to just paying people and paying them well and treating them right that they would let they would literally rather have children go down into the mines than just pay an adult to do it. And, you know, there's some folks who think we ought to be grateful for that. We ought to be right. grateful for those capitalists being willing to employ our children and give them jobs. Yeah. Crazy, crazy stuff. Stockholm um, Syndrome. But, uh, folks, our UMWA brothers and sisters are still on strike. You can donate to their um, uh, to their strike pantry fund at paypal.me slash... Uh, UMWA Strike Pantry. Uh, The Tennessee Valley Progressive Alliance is hosting Dana Sweeney on March the 14th at 6 p.m. in downtown Huntsville Library, Main Auditorium. The Labor Notes Notes is having online workshops. uh, The next one is February 23rd. Uh, buy our merch, tvlr.fm slash store. Donate to the expansion, tvlr.fm slash expand. We're heading into overtime. It's going to be great. All power to the workers. <laughs>